hands up because you are in the Hoodwood. I'm the Black Bandit KJ Green. Welcome you to another edition of Sports for the Hoodwood for February 18th, 2023. Coming up in this edition, another Super Bowl in the books. Was this the best ever? Take a look back at how the Chiefs took home another title. And are the comparisons of making Patrick Mahomes the GOAT coming a little too soon? Take a look at NFL free agency. First wave is almost upon us. Who's in line to get paid? Who's going to make the big moves? NFL coaching carousel is still spinning out of control. Take a look at what teams are making the best moves, put themselves in the best position, recover quickly, and the coaching carousel chain just madness. Take a look at the NBA. Just hitting the all-star break. What team are putting themselves in the position and which team's just fooling themselves. Baseball is almost back. Spring training is just around the corner and there are new rules implementations that you need to be aware of. I'll detail them all and how they affect the game. Goodwood Hot 5 has the top five college teams right now. And we also also have Fat Dap, Head Slap as usual, and of course the final work for Wood this week on Let's go. XFL is going to be able to fulfill, but we have college basketball. We'll look at that a little bit later. I'm your man, KJ Green, welcoming you back to another edition of Sports with the Hoodwood. And that was that. Two teams, one great game. Back and forth we went. Everything, we had everything but an ending, had controversial calls, great play, just magnificent game between the Chiefs and the Eagles. Chiefs coming out 38-35 winners of Super Bowl 57, winning their second title in four years and their third in franchise history, taking down a tough, tough Philadelphia team. But in the end, as I had predicted, that the Chiefs wanted to make this game a shootout. And Philly was putting on the points in the first half, but they only scored 11 in the second after taking a 24-14 halftime lead. You thought when it came, when it was 24-14 at the half, you're thinking, I don't know, can the Chiefs rally from 10 down? But if there was any team in the NFL that I would be confident in being able to come back from a double-digit deficit, as the Chiefs did in their previous Super Bowl win, you forgot they were down 20-10 to 10 in that Super Bowl against the 49ers. Chiefs were able to get up off the mat. A great second half comeback. Putting up 24 points. Four drives. They scored on every drive they had the ball. Lengthy drives punishing the, the Eagles in the second half and wearing them out. Even though the Eagles did out uh, outgain the Eagles. Uh, again. Even though the Eagles did outgain the Chiefs in the statistical column. Uh, 417 to 340, the Chiefs, like I said, scored on each of their last four drives in the second half. Pretty much a perfect second half to rally for the win. Not to say that the Eagles went quietly. Jalen Hurts had a brilliant game, rushing for three touchdowns, throwing one for his, of his own. And he kept the Eagles in that game with his arm and his legs. But the redoubtable Patrick Mahomes was on point on the last four Chiefs possessions, basically willing the Chiefs over the finish line, going 21 for 27. He threw for under 200 yards. But 
His throws were precise. He directed the uh, the Chiefs' offense flawlessly. Isaiah Pacheco, a sleeper candidate for MVP himself, with a great rushing game, 76 yards and a touchdown. Travis Kelsey, former Bearcat, was at his usual impeccable self, catching the, the Chiefs' early first uh, first touchdown on a just a gorgeous over-the-shoulder catch. Like I said, this was one of these games that you had pretty much everything. You had great passing. You had a defensive touchdown with the uh, with the, with the scoop and score by the Chiefs and Nick Bolton with the uh, with the score for the Eagles. And then with the Eagles jumping out to a big lead, you thought they may be able to grind their way to a win, but Chiefs taking the second half kickoff and going. Right down the field on a 10-play, 75-yard drive, getting the game within three. And you thought the the, the Eagles better score a touchdown and get this back to 10. But they uh, had a massive drive, 17 plays, but they only got 60 yards and got only three points. Burning seven and a half, uh, pretty much almost all the remainder of the third quarter. But they only took a six-point lead, and you thought, I don't know. You, you, you leave the door open for Mahomes and company, they're going to kick the door in. They went right back downfield, answering that drive with, and you thought, when once they scored and took the lead, you're thinking, that's a wrap. Especially when they went three and out. And Kadarius Tony with a brilliant punt return to set the, the Chiefs up deep in Eagles territory. And they took an eight-point lead. And it looked like it might have been checkmate. But Jalen Hurts and company drove back down the field in eight plays, 75 yards to tie the game with a two-point conversion. Game had seen everything but an ending. And, of course, you had to have controversy. You had to have the rest. But I still say that controversial hole, it was a hole. And you wonder when the refs are going to pull one out of their pockets and throw the flag. But in a, in a case like that, holding Juju Smith-Schuster on a crucial third down conversion gave the Chiefs basically what they needed to be able to kick the game-winning field goal and win the 57th Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes become, uh, winning uh, his second Super Bowl, another Super Bowl MVP for him. And the Chiefs, of course, next year being installed as favorites to run it back to win another Super Bowl. Andy Reid saying he feels fine and he wants to win, try to win another Super Bowl. And has Andy Reid more or less carved himself onto the Mount Rushmore of legendary coaches with the Belichicks, the Shulas, uh, 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 you name the, the great Lombardis? Has Andy Reid taken his place there? He's won over 200 games. He's won in Philly. He won in Kansas City. He kept the Eagles as a constant contender. He's won two Super Bowls in Kansas City. And I'm pretty sure he'll never have to buy a hamburger in the Kansas City uh, Kansas City metro area ever again. He is a legend in his own time and a great coach. Kansas City Chiefs are your Super Bowl champions. Good, good salute you. Now I was looking over some statistics um, about Patrick Mahomes having won his second Super Bowl in four years and the inevitable comparisons to the GOAT, if you want to call Tom Brady the GOAT, are beginning to surface, you know, is Mahomes one of the best of all times? Right now, as a contemporary, I think he is the best quarterback in the NFL. That is a statement that is going to get very little debate over the course of the last five years. Uh, Patrick Mahomes having won 64 of his 80 starts. Now, if you take the first five years of Brady's career and compare them to the first five years of Patrick Mahomes' career, Mahomes has a decided edge because Tom Brady 
played in a less pass-happy NFL 20 years ago. He was still, you know, learning the game and getting good at the game. Yes, he won the Super Bowl in his second year, filling in for the injured Drew Bledsoe. But Patrick Mahomes was basically handed the keys to the car after his second year when he was drafted out of Texas Tech in 2017. He was backing up Alex Smith, but everybody knew that sooner or later Mahomes was going to get to run the show. Not so much with Brady. Brady was a six-round draft choice of the Patriots from Michigan, a throwaway, if you will, and many people didn't think he was going to last in the league. He didn't start his first year because he just was the third-string quarterback. The uh, New England Patriots were being uh, led by Drew Bledsoe, who was considered the franchise quarterback, being the number one pick in the 1993 draft and having played with the Patriots for the last nine seasons. When he got hurt, Tom Brady was considered to be a fill-in. Most people didn't think he was going to last the entire season. When um, Bledsoe was able to come back from a near-fatal injury, and many people wondered, was he going to be able to just step back into the role as starter? And there was a lot of controversy in New England. Patrick Mahomes got the start, starting nine after the 2018 season, and has been the unquestioned starter of the Kansas City Chiefs since then. He has thrown more touchdown passes, has won, had won more games in his first five seasons than Brady did. But again, the NFL was a lot different. 20 some odd years ago than it is now where it is a lot where the Patriots had a strong defense the Chiefs have had a hyper active offense that have racked up points they have a decent defense but the Patriots in comparison basically ran on their defense Bill Belichick of course was a defensive coordinator if you do recall his time with the Giants Andy Reid is the guru of go he likes a high-powered offense and has the tools and the talent with Patrick Mahomes to put up the type of offense that he wants. High-powered, high-scoring, and Patrick Mahomes as the architect and the pilot of that offense is scoring a lot of points and racking up a lot of numbers. That being said, the comparisons between the two, I still think Calling Goat, uh, Mahomes the GOAT now is wildly premature. Is he one of the best quarterbacks in the game? Without a doubt. Now, if you're going to look over the body of work, Mahomes has won two MVPs, whereas Brady didn't win an MVP in his uh, first five years with the Patriots. He did win in his first five years with the Patriots. He did win three Super Bowls. Now, can Patrick Mahomes win another Super Bowl here in the next couple of years? Odds on, I think he's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good bet to do that. He has made good wide receivers great, and it doesn't mean. And people thought, well, with him losing Tyreek Hill, the, the Kansas City offense was going to drop off. Not so much. He was able to. They were able to plug in Juju Smith-Schuster and Kadarius Tony, as well as a brilliant, as always, Travis Kelsey. And the Chiefs offense has not lost a step. Does that mean that Mahomes is the GOAT? I'm going to put a brakes on that right now. I'm going to say he's the best in the game right now. But the GOAT, if he continues to do this over an extended period of time, you're not going to just take a five-year block and say, okay, this makes you the GOAT. No. What is going to make you the greatest of all time is sustained success. Over a long period of time. Not just five years. You're thinking 10, 15. Brady played 22 seasons. I'm not going to hold someone to that impossible standard. But I still say if Mahomes continues to churn out championships the way they have over the next 5, 10, 15 years, then we can start talking goal comparisons. Now, it's a little premature. Let's take a time out. Come back and look at the NFL free agency period, which will be starting soon. What teams are going to make a splash in free agency and which players are set to get paid? And we'll also take a look at the round and round coaching carousel. What teams and what coaches have married up and 
which ones will be the best marriages and which ones are going to be headed for divorce real quick. Sports from Google continues after this. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. which will start on March 15th, approximately about a month from now. Now, there are players, the movement within in the NFL, team player finishes out their contract and is able to move on to another team. Now, there is some restricted free agency, and teams have to, again, work within the constraints of the salary cap. One time, there was no such thing as free agency. If a player played out his contract and wanted to move on to another team, it was up to the commissioner, Pete Rozelle, to determine the compensation the other team would get for losing said player. There was a uh, case in the 70s where uh, Cullen, uh, Ron Jesse wanted to leave Detroit to play for the Los Angeles Rams. And Pete Rozelle determined that the Rams would have to give up their promising running back Cullen Bryant to the Lions. And this had a chilling effect on player movement until the uh, late 80s when players successfully sued for free agency, was then known as Plan B free agency. Still, free player movement wasn't really realized until the mid-90s. And then the, uh, the versions of free agency which have been uh, negotiated in the uh, successive collective bargaining agreements have made the free agency period after the Super Bowl from the period of the uh, end of the Super Bowl until the actual free agent signings at the beginning of the new league year, which is in the middle of March. It's a weird time because you have players who are speculated to go here, there, everywhere. And there are some lesser known names. But there are some bigger names that are on the free agency market not including David Carr, who was given his outright release by the Raiders recently. And we're not talking about players like that. You have those players all the time that have given, they've been cut by their teams. But I'm talking about teams that have, the players that have played out their side, their uh, contract and are free to move to whatever um, team that they determine they want to go to, whether it's staying where they're at and signing another deal or going to another team. Players like Geno Smith, who had a fine season for Seattle, he may be on the move, or he could stay at Seattle, say up, son of big money. That was one of the, the shrewdest deals that the Seattle Seahawks were able to make, signing Geno Smith, and many people thought he was washed up. I thought he, I was surprised he was still in the league. But he was able to parlay that into a Comeback Player of the Year award and maybe a big payday with the Seahawks going forward. You also have quarterbacks like Daniel Jones of the Giants who have played their way into the playoffs, got a playoff win, and have made themselves look very valuable for the New York football Giants. Then you have question marks like Jimmy Garoppolo who got hurt and have betting on themselves for a big contract. Now, what it means them staying in San Francisco, going elsewhere, Jimmy Garoppolo could very well be on the move. And of course, the premier free agent will more than likely be Lamar Jackson of the Baltimore Ravens 
who did get hurt, didn't play the last five, six games of the season. The Ravens lost in the wild card round to the Bengals. And many people wonder, especially with uh, offensive coordinator, new offensive coordinator Todd Munkin going from Georgia to um, the Baltimore Ravens, if that is going to seriously put a damper on Lamar Jackson's return to Baltimore because Todd Munkin has a very, very different type of offensive style than what Lamar Jackson, his freewheeling type of quarterback play is. Now, of course, the big name in the running back field for the free agents is Saquon Barkley of the Giants. Now, he had a solid season after a couple of years filled with injuries. He had a solid season for the New York football Giants. Another running back that many people may be seeing in the free agent market is Josh Jacobs of the Raiders. Him playing for that sorry team, but he was one of the few bright spots for a poor Raiders showing in 2022. Big names in the wide receiver market, not a lot of them. Juju Smith-Schuster, Alan Lazard are two of the top names there. And then on the defensive end, <clears throat> excuse me, James Bradbury, you know, remember the guy who uh, inadvertently tugged Schuster, but he is a free agent now. Will he make a big move? Also, Marcus Peters of the Ravens, he is a free agent. Will he make a big move? And it's wondering, many people are wondering, a lot of these free agents, are they going to change teams? Or are the teams that are, are uh, once their employers make a pitch to keep them? Restructuring deals. But in any case, all these players are going to get paid. They're going to get paid a lot of money to change teams. Now, we're not even talking about, like I said, we're not talking about Derek Carr. We're not talking about the possibility of Aaron Rodgers getting traded from the Packers. He's still on the contract for the Packers for another two years. That being said, he could decide to retire, or the Packers might be decide may decide. You know what? It's time to give Jordan Love the reins and move on from the Aaron Rodgers era. Now, of course, we can look at the NFL coaching carousel, which I call the silly season in coaches that have moved from one place to the other. you but I'm dizzy not because I'm goofball don't even say a word don't even start the coaching at carousel in the NFL has been spinning wildly uh, for the past few weeks and it looks like it's finally coming to a rest uh, Shane Steichen hope I pronounced that right Jonathan Gannon the offensive and defensive coordinators respectively for the Philadelphia Eagles were both announced as head coaches for the Colts and Cardinals, respectively, that basically closes the door on NFL coaching hires for this season. Now, Nathaniel Hackett, Frank Wright, and Matt Rule all fired during the season. Their interim coaches did not uh, survive the uh, interview process, while the Cardinals and Texans both fired their head coaches on the uh, last days of the season, respectively, on the 8th and 9th. Now, Jonathan Gannon being hired by the Cardinals, Shane Steichen by the Colts, Sean Payton, the big name, going surprisingly to the Broncos. I thought the Cowboys were going to fire Mike McCarthy, but he stays put. Though Kellen Moore decides he's going to leave, and they're going to get a new offensive coordinator. Lovey Smith being dismissed in Houston. Basically, I said he never had a fair shake to begin with. The young Demeco Ryans filling his position after being a brilliant defensive coordinator for the 49ers for a number of years. And Frank Wright, who was fired by the Colts in November, lands in Carolina, replacing the deposed Matt Rule, who got fired on October 10th. Round and round, the coaching carousel goes... Now, will any of these teams succeed in their new digs? Probably not. Not first right off. I do think that Frank Wright will succeed quicker in Carolina than any of the other new coaches. 
the Cardinals hiring Jonathan Gannon was a bit of a surprise. A lot of people were thinking either Brian Callahan or Lou Anarumo of the Bengals were going to get hired as coaches. Neither one of them survived the interview process and go back to the Bengals, which makes that team that much stronger because they have more continuity in their coaching staff. The Bengals were the last team, ironically, to lose both their offensive and defensive coordinators to the coaching carousel in 2016 when they lost both uh, Jay Gruden and Mike Zimmer to the Washington football team and the Minnesota Vikings, respectively. Now, will this be any kind of a shift going forward? Coaches like Byron Leftwich, Eric Bieniemy, both got were left wanting. Steve Wilkes of the Pan interim coach of the Panthers ended up going to the defensive coordinator of the 49ers. Those three I think should be high on, on GM's list for next year or to be filling in any kind of coaching vacancies for hot seats coming up. I was really surprised Sean Payton went to Denver though. I thought he was gonna hold out and go to Dallas. Coaching carousel, I don't know about you, but I'm really dizzy. So that means I need to take a time out. Step aside for me. We'll come back, take a look at the NBA at the All-Star break. Who is in position to make a move and who are making their way to the playoffs. Also, we'll look at the MLB changes. Lots of changes. Two problems to say. Some things will never change. A lot of things are changing in baseball. Take a look at that. Sports from the Hoodwood continues after this. Your new year's resolution. 2023 is to follow me, the real Rajiv, and the real DJ Dream on Facebook and Instagram. And have an outstanding new year. Hi everyone, I'm KJ Green. If you're looking to reach a broad audience for your advertising dollar, look no further than where you are right now. You can advertise right here in the Hoodwood. If you need spots created as well, Black Banner Productions and Enterprises can create commercial content that drives sales and gets results. You send your inquiries to ads at blackbandedproductions.com. Blackbanded Productions and Enterprises. Sounds, ideas, and images of the 21st century. tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the internet's foremost location for the most honest insight, thorough analysis, and unfiltered opinion on the world of sports. Now, once again, here's the man of the hour, after hours, your host, KJ Green. You are back in the Hoodwood. My name is KJ Green. Let's shift gears to the NBA. The NBA will be hitting its all-star break this weekend, uh, the all-star game being in Salt Lake City. Team's already been drawn up. Team LeBron, Team Giannis. And I really don't care who wins the All-Star game. What I really care about is what teams are hitting the All-Star break at optimum power. Now, I've always said that the the All-Star break comes kind of at a weird time. It isn't exactly halfway through the season. It's a little bit past halfway. Most teams have played somewhere in the neighborhood of 55-58 games. So the once the All-Star break is done, it's pretty much a sprint to the finish. We're in mid-February, so that means it's a little bit more than six weeks left in the NBA regular season. That being said, we are looking at teams who are have separated themselves as quality playoff teams. In the East, you have the Celtics and, uh, and Bucks who are head and shoulders above the East. Uh, only the I would think only the Sixers and Cavaliers are even close to being really uh, in the conversation with them being top dogs in the East. Now, the balance of power has really shifted to the Western Conference as there have been uh, with the massive trades with Kyrie Irving going to the Dallas Mavericks, Kevin Durant going to the Phoenix Suns. Those two teams have basically 
mortgage their future in a hope and to win it now. And I detailed this last week with some of the big trades at the deadline, but you still have Denver way out in front of the West. Uh, Nikola Jokic basically playing like MVP again, rinse, repeat, that sort of stuff. But the Nuggets still have yet to make a deep run into the playoffs. This team has only been to the Western Conference Finals three times in its history, never been to the finals. Is this the year? There is a tough, tough, tough West to navigate with John Moran and the Memphis Grizzlies. A very surprising Sacramento Kings team with firmly entrenched themselves in the top eight. Many people didn't think this team was going to develop the way they are or have so fast. Of course, you have the veteran late Phoenix Suns who was sitting fourth. Nine games out, but with the addition of Kevin Durant, do you think that makes that team to fear in the West? And of course, you have the usual suspects, the Mavs, the Clippers, the Timberwolves, the Warriors. The Warriors still trying to get over that injury bug. They're just barely above 500. And many people think that this could be a team that could make a dangerous run if they are healthy. It's a big if. They've had the injury bug hit them really hard. Young Timberwolves still trying to navigate themselves around. They're in the playoff spot for now. The Jazz, right now at the 10th spot, are trying to hang on to keep the Trailblazers and Thunder off of their backs. Only three games separate the four spot, which is the Phoenix Suns, and being below the cut line. Only three games. So there's going to be a lot of shuffling around between this, when the play resumes uh, next week and the end of the season, which is in the middle of April. Which teams I think have made, made the best uh, moves? I have to like Kevin Durant to the Suns. I mean, that is a 20-point, 10-rebound boost to a team that plays very well when healthy. Adding DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul to that mix, if they can get cohesive right away, that could be a team that could make a run deep into the play into to better playoff position and challenge the Denver Nuggets for Western supremacy. Now back east, of course, you have Giannis and the Bucks, you have Jalen Brown and the, and the Celtics, and pretty much the chaff below them. I still say whoever comes out of the East between the Bucks and the Celtics, those are the two teams I'm looking at as the best teams coming out of the East. So, where does this leave us? Still a lot of questions. It's still February, but the speculation will run rampant and will ramp up as we get closer and closer to the playoffs. It's an exciting time for the NBA. I like watching it. Now, with me talking about basketball, it's kind of overlooking the fact that spring is coming. Ah, I love the thought of spring. Warmer weather and baseball returning to the forefront. And MLB is implementing a number of rule changes that will make the game look a lot different than the game that you and I grew up with. I mean, baseball is always... Um, thought of itself as being a timeless game where there's no clock. There's no time limit on anything. You can't freeze out the clock, stall out. You have to get the man out. 27 up, 27 down. Or in case of if you're on the road, at least 24 up and down. But regardless of which, there are changes afoot and that you're going to have to get used to because they have been implemented. There isn't something of speculation. They are doing it. First of all, there are going to be no more shifts. Now, I'm a bit ambivalent about that. I mean, I think if you're shifting around your outfield and your infield slightly for a left-handed pull hitter, that's one thing. But having, say, all four infielders on the left side of the infield and all the outfielders you know, crammed around, that's it's inherently stupid. Because now you're saying, well, we don't think, we, we, we need extra fielders to keep you from getting hits. 
we need extra people so you have to hit it at somebody. I remember back, you know, reading about the Williams Shift um, implemented by Lou Boudreau of the, then the manager of the uh, Cleveland franchise against the left-handed uh, Boston Red Sox slugger who moved players around and basically left one man on the right side or should say left side of the infield between second and third base and basically had the left fielder standing in center field. The Williams shift, as it was known, was designed to keep the left-handed terror from basically tearing up a P-patch as he could hit to right field. Williams defiantly wouldn't go the other way, even though he was talented enough to do so. He hit into the teeth of the shift and hit pretty well. This pretty much has, has been expounded where teams will do the shift on every left-handed batter. Now with the shift, at the time the pitch is thrown, in all four infielders are required to be on the infield dirt, two on each side of second base. This inherently will make it easier for batters to be able to poke balls in left or right field, as it were. So dead pool hitters won't be at a disadvantage having to hit into the teeth of a defense that has five or six infielders and outfielders waiting to catch the ball. Now, they're trying to change the batting averages, which at 243 last year was the lowest batting average since the year of the pitcher, 1968. And a lack of singles, you don't see a lot of singles. I mean, the, the 2022's rate of 5.33 singles per team was the third lowest in MLB history. And that may have been done but may be in part because of the shift. Now, left-handed hitters are screaming, oh, joy, because of this, because you see it more happen for left-handed hitters than right-handed hitters. One of the other changes that they're implementing in MLB is the pitch clock. Pitchers will have 15 seconds to throw a pitch with the bases empty and 20 with runners on base. Hitters will need to subsequently also need to be in the batter's box with 8 seconds on the pitch clock. Now, if the pitcher has not started motion to deliver the pitch before the expiration of the clock, he's charged with the ball. If the batter delays entering the box, he's charged with a strike. Now, this is going to take some getting used to. I mean, they've been doing it in the minor leagues the last couple of years. And umpires have always encouraged pitchers to move quicker. But now with a clock and watching clock, it's going to be kind of weird to see a pitcher trying to get his rhythm in 15 or 20 seconds. Because a lot of pitchers do take their time about delivering pitches. And a lot of batters take a lot of time getting in the, in the batter's box. Now, the average time of the nine-inning major league game in 2022 was three hours and four minutes, which was actually a drop from 2021's all-time high at three hours and ten minutes. But the game has been the game times have been rising, and they crossed the three-hour mark in 2014. Now, will this be a change? Will this make games quicker? It has been noted in the minors that a pitch clock, which has been enforced in the minors the last few years, have made games go a lot quicker. Two and a half hours, if you will. They're dropping 10 and 20 minutes off of games. Now, if this is going to make the game move quicker and be at a better tempo, I'm all for it. It's going to get you a bit used to seeing a clock and seeing the how this pitch clock is being enforced. Now, also, there are pickoff rules that you can't throw more than, you can't disengage, you know, making a pickoff attempt more than twice for one uh, uh, one batter. You can only charge, you can only step off twice. After the third step off, you're charged with a balk. It's going to be kind of dicey to see out because a balk rule has always been something that's been pretty tough to enforce. Now, Umpires are supposed to be getting the memorandum that they're going to enforce the ball a little bit more closely. We're going to see how many times this gets enforced before it starts kind of evening itself out. One of the bigger things that you're going to notice in baseball are bigger bases. Alex Cora, who's manager of the Red Sox, called the bases a pizza box. <laughs> 
they, they, the size of the bases are increased from 15 to 18 inches in diameter and they're trying to encourage uh, more stolen bases and quote unquote reduce injuries. I'm, I'm kind of a, another one that I'm kind of ambivalent about. I want to see how this works. I haven't seen the size of the bases yet and I want to see them in action. I want to see if this encourages more attempted thefts, more stolen bases. It's going to be interesting to see if some of these rule changes make the game better. If it speeds it up, if it makes it look better, if it's a cleaner product, if it makes the, 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 the game more compact, crisp, moving along. I'm all for it. Baseball is a timeless game and, and, and I understand that. But it needs a little bit of urging along so that a newer generation can be more intriguing. Now me, I've watched baseball all my life. And I love watching baseball. But there are times where you do need some changes. Change is good in some places, in other, other places it's not. We'll have to see. Let's take our final timeout and come back with Fleetwood Hot 5. It's going to be the top five college teams in basketball right now. Fat Dap, Head Slap, and the final word from the wood. Sports on the Hoodwood heads down the home stretch after this. Your New Year's resolution for 2023 is to follow me, The Real Rajim, and The Real DJ Dream on Facebook and Instagram. And have an outstanding new year. Hi everyone, I'm KJB. Slap and the final word from the wood. This week's Hoodwood Hot Five details the five best teams in college basketball right now. And I'm not saying who I think is going to win the national championship or who's going to make the tournament. These are just the five best teams playing, going right now in college basketball. Let's start off with number five, the defending national champion Kansas Jayhawks, who are 20 and five right now, eight four in the Big 12. They're third in the Big 12 but they're only a half game behind Texas and Baylor. Now, any list is going to start with the defending champs, and they are poised to try to defend their crown. And Bill Self always has his team ready to play, and this is a tough team. Now, they did have a lull in midway through the season where they dropped three straight, but they did rebound nicely to go to Rupp and spank uh, UK and also win back-to-back -back games against Texas and Oklahoma. This is a good team and one to keep an eye on. They are the defending champs. So a defending champ is always going to be a tough out. At number four, we have the Purdue Boilermakers, who are 23-3, and 12-3 in the Big Ten. Now, they did take a nasty pratfall in Evanston to the Northwestern Wildcats. Oh, wait a minute. Northwestern? They've got a basketball team? They've got a pretty decent basketball team, if you should ask. But... Purdue should have no shame in losing to them, but they are right now still the kingpins of the Big Ten. At number three, we have the UCLA Bruins. We're 21 and 4, 12 and 2 in the Pac 12. Now, it hurts my heart to see the former Bearcat coach winning big in new digs and proving that it was resources, not coaching, that was limiting his success at my alma mater. But that's neither here nor there. 
They are two and a half games ahead of Arizona in the Pac-12 and poised very well to make a deep run. At number two, I don't even want to just, it just won't even bring them up, but they do deserve their own. They deserve just due. Houston Cougars, who are 23-2 and and 11-1 in the American. I've made it well documented how much I have no love for their coach, Kelvin Sampson. But the Cougs are gunning to stay home for the Final Four. I'm not being, being, being sent home. The Final Four is an NRG stadium in Houston, and they are poised to make a deep run to get back to Houston. And the number one team in the Hoodwood Hot Five college basketball uh, rankings right now, I have... Wait a minute, is that right? Is, is, is this football? No, this is basketball. The Alabama Crimson Tide? Yes, that's no joke. That's no misprint. The Crimson Tide are 22-3, and three, and get this, unbeaten in the SEC. You know how hard that is? That rugged conference ain't for sissies. And Alabama has been running roughshod of the SEC so far this season. Nate Oates has made the Crimson Tide a hoops SEC powerhouse, rivaling his uh, counterpart in football. I wouldn't say that much, but the Crimson Tide are a damn good team, and they could also make a deep run and get to Houston themselves. That's my high five. What's yours? Now, Fat Dap and Head Slap of the Week goes like this. Fat Dap of the Week goes to Kansas City Chief Safety, Brian Cook. And the only reason I'm giving him Fat Dap for winning the Super Bowl is because he is from my alma mater twice over. He's a standout defensive player at Mount Healthy High School, my alma mater, and he was also a standout defensive back for the University of Cincinnati, also my alma mater. He was drafted in the third round by the Chiefs, and played a key reserve role in helping the Chiefs win their second Super Bowl in four years. Fat Dap to Brian Cook, hose in the house, making Super Bowl, making my school history, being the first Super Bowl player to ever win a Super Bowl. He had come out of Mount Healthy High School. And I don't think he's the first, no, he's not the first Super Bowl winner out of University of Cincinnati. I think that was Jim O'Brien who kicked the winning field goal in Super Bowl five. But Fat Dap to Brian Cook for making history for my alma mater. Our head slap of the week is kind of a serious deal here. The head slap goes to New Mexico State Hoops. They abruptly canceled the remainder of their schedule in the wake of some disturbing allegations of sexual misconduct and abuse and hazing regarding team members on fellow teammates. Three players were cited for false imprisonment harassment, and criminal sexual misconduct. Now, the Aggies decided to shut down their season and the whack in turn deemed their remaining six games to be forfeits. New Mexico State also fired first-year men's basketball coach Greg Hayar in the wake of this scandal. The head slap really goes to New Mexico State for not knowing what's going on in their house and for hazing. What kind of stupidity is that? It just makes no sense. Now, without much further ado, let's go to the final word from the wood. Now, as I mentioned, my alma mater, which isn't too far from the hood wood, Mount Healthy High School, I went and paid a visit last Friday for a basketball game and chatted up an old friend about who I thought or who he thought would win the Super Bowl. My guy Dave is a real sports guru. He uh, coaches both football and basketball. He has a coach's type knowledge of the game. And kids listen to his low-key yet sage advice. And when I asked him who he thought would win the game, he flatly stated his open disdain for Patrick Mahomes. And I asked him why he wasn't a fan of his. He didn't like his improvised style of play. He said, and I quote, kids see that and they think they can do that and they can't, end quote. It's not good for the game. 
He also expressed a disdain for the proliferation of three-point shooting in basketball, especially from uh, shooters like Steph Curry. He compared the shot selection of the Warriors guard and the passing of Mahomes as bad influences on youth players. Quote, he got everyone thinking he can do that, and they can't. They don't have those kind of shooting skills, and they try to pass like that with Mahomes doing underhand and sidearm and throwing on the run, and it's going to mess up the game even further, end quote. Now, while many people think that Mahomes' freelancing is bad for the quarterback position, I myself think that it's also very good for the position. Mahomes has made so many plays in the Super Bowl with his legs, but also the ability to think quickly on his feet, on the run. And his counterpart on the Eagles, Jalen Hurts, was no less the improvisational quarterback himself. He rushed for a Super Bowl record three touchdowns. And his deft touch gave the Eagles early lead and tied the game late. Now, the pocket passer is going the way of the dinosaur. You can bank on that. The ability to stand tall in the pocket is still useful, but offensive are not dependent on it as they used to be. Pocket passers like Brady, Manning, both the Manning brothers, Phillip Rivers, and Drew Brees have all since retired. More than the fair share of quarterbacks these days are highly mobile and are able to create offenses on the run. Passers like Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence are examples of this. Now, is Patrick Mahomes uh, ruining the quarterback position? Only to the extent that the position is evolving, developing. The days of the statue signal caller standing in the pocket and immobile is rapidly fading. Teams that want to win or need to win are already in full understanding of this fact. My friend may disagree with this assessment, but the mobile quarterback are not running backs who take the snap. Yet there are nuanced players who are developing and have developed a true skill set at the position. And that is the final word from the wood. Now with the music coming up in the background, you know that means your time here in the Hoodwood is just about done. Thank you so much for your visit. The show's email is kjgreen at sportsfromthehoodwood.com. Please send me emails regarding show topics, questions, comments on the show, and both praise and criticism. I welcome your correspondence, and I will try to get back with you as quickly as I can. Now, the show's website is sportsfromthehoodwood.com, which has a back catalog of shows of both audio and video forms dating back 10 years. You can check out the Sports from the Hoodwood page on Facebook, which has the video podcast simulcast, as well as other topics, funny uh, funny stuff I find all over the web, great discussions, a lot of good sports debate, and lots more. Video versions, of course, are on YouTube. You hit the subscribe button, smash that like button, um, get the notification bell for when we publish the shows online on YouTube and we also have more great content from Black Band Productions. The link for the podcast is also on the Twitter feed which is at Hoodwood Sports and it also has interesting stuff as well between the show and I will tweet back and you like and follow there as well. The audio version is also on Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iMusic and other fine podcast platforms and providers. If the Hoodwood is not on that, your favorite podcast provider, ask for it. Drop me a line, and I'll do what I can to get it there. Special thanks, as always, to Rage Pictures for their production assistance to the show. That's it from the Hoodwood, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Until next time, fellow sports fans, I'm KJ Green, 30. Sports from the Hoodwood is a Black Bandit Productions and Enterprises presentation of a 551 Audio and Films production. 